Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set with the New York Yankees, losing it four games to nothing. They are still currently in last place in the American League East. Eight games under five hundred now. 11 games back from the third place wild card, and there's only 10 games left. So, guess what? Audi 5000. Quick disclaimer as always for any first time listeners this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts. Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, um, I'm happy that fall is here. Uh, best time of the year. Hoodie weather is back. That's great. But uh, Red Sox are out of it. There's really nothing to play for at this point. Um, Patriots starting quarterback is now hurt, and they lost again. And the Celtics head coach is a horn dog. And <laughs> who knows what's going to happen with them. So, I don't know how I'm feeling right now. I'm I was excited for this time of year, and now I'm sort of like, eh, not really sure what's going on. So, and as it pertains to the Red Sox, it's like, <laughs> you know, this weekend series against the Yankees really shows you, wow, there's one team headed in one direction, and here's us headed in God knows what direction. So, that sucks. Yeah, Th- there was another period. I heard this on. Uh, my local Portland station and it was in 2013 and the Celtics had, I think just lost to the heat in the conference finals. The Bruins had just lost to Chicago in, in the finals. And then Aaron Hernandez was like 24 hours away from getting arrested. And this caller comes on and he's like, He's like, the Celtics are out of it. The Bruins lost in the finals. The Patriots are killing people. <laughs> it's just like, oh, goodness. But, yeah, so I think that was how many championships were in that era? Let's see. The Patriots won six, Red Sox four, Celtics won, Bruins won. So that's 12 in under two decades in 17 years, actually, 01, I think, was the first Patriots Super Bowl that, during that calendar year, I should say. And then uh, 2018 was the um, – or did the Patriots win one more after that? No, 2018 was the last one. Yeah, for the Red Sox. The Red Sox. Okay. Yep. All those championships run together. But, yeah, man, we'll never have it that good again, like, for the rest of our life. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no. Also joining us tonight, believe it or not, we do have a third host coming to us from 
Providence, Rhode Island. Charlie Smith. Charlie? Good evening, fellas. Uh, we can finally say it. We have officially been eliminated. After finally losing and getting swept by the Yankees, it's very sad. It's not fun. But I'm just going to go ahead and say that I just called that, uh, you know, not quite 70, but pretty close to it. Um, really disappointed, really sad. But, I mean, this is uh, what we were expecting, and it was going to be bad. This is pretty bad. So, unfortunately, they uh, they weren't able to pull out even one against the Yankees. Good news was Aaron Judge didn't get number 61. So, I guess there's a little bit of silver lining in that situation. Yeah, on Twitter, I because uh, you all know how I like to run my mouth on there. Um, right before we came on, I tweeted out, I said, the Red Sox went to the Bronx with, and I said, a rookie pitcher, Rich Hill, the 25th ranked bullpen, and Aaron Judge still could not hit number 61. I, I The whole time I, going into the series, I'm like, Brazier's going to be the guy to give it up. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? Or Rich Hill, because, you know, Judge is going to get at least three at-bats against him. And uh, couldn't get it done. I think he's in his own head a little bit. When you see him in the dugout, like, before or after his at-bats, you can see him kind of, like, hopping on the, the balls of his feet, you know, like like the anxiousness is just getting to him. And I, I think he's in his own head a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's jumping on the first pitch of every at-bat. We saw that all weekend. So, and there weren't bad pitches. There were fastballs up in the zone. So that's what he feasts on naturally. But yeah, you can tell he's he's a little bit jumpy. He kind of wants to get it out of the way. And I don't blame him. I mean, the Yankees are going to the playoffs. We all know that. I'm sure that for a guy like him and for that whole clubhouse, they're just waiting for this whole storyline to be over with. Like, you know, I mean, you watch college football on Saturday. They're, they're, cutting into his at-bats. I mean, you're going from college football to baseball because that's how big of an event it is. They're, they're cutting in and they're, you know, showing his at-bats live. So I'm sure that he's just waiting to get that pressure off of him. But yeah, he's definitely antsy. He's jumping at pitches and he's trying to get it out of the way, which worked out for the Red Sox this weekend because he was a little bit too jumpy and he didn't get it done. So that works out for us. Ten games left, roughly. I don't, although that's what the Red Sox have. I don't know if the Yankees have that. Maybe they have nine. Maybe they have eleven. I don't know. But uh, so that's four games per at bat. So he's got roughly forty chances left. So I don't know if uh, he thinks of it that way or not. But but yeah, Charlie. Any thoughts on Judge? I uh, was pretty open about saying that I'm pretty sure he's going to hit at the very least 61. But um, you you already mentioned the fact that he was jumping on the first pitch. I mean, the first pitch that he saw in, oh, God, I forget. It was his last at-bat. I think it was the fifth inning. He he shot it to left field, and everybody thought it was a home run. Like, his whole family's jumping up and down, but Aaron Judge wasn't. They did the replays of it, and he just got a little too much under it. And, you know, Jason already mentioned it. He's got some nerves. He just wants to get it out of the way. But, unfortunately, he's not there yet. And it's going to take a little bit of time. But, Terry, 40 at-bats, there's just no way he's not going to hit two and 40. There's just no way. So, we know it's going to happen. I'm, I'm happy it's not going to be against the Red Sox. So, there's going to be some other bum that gives it up. 
Yeah, the longer the series went, the more emotionally invested I got in him not getting it against us. So, and with that one tonight, Bayo hung a slider. Like that should have been 61, and he just couldn't. It, he missed it. It should have been because it was right over the plate. It was right over, and Judge knew he had it. It was right there for him, and he blew it. Yeah. Yeah, well, at least it's not our problem at this point. But uh, so Red Sox lose the series. And I was just saying last week how we had this streak going where we hadn't been doing the weekend shit list because they've been showing up on the weekends. But unfortunately, the format for this episode will be the weekend shit list. So before we get to the actual list, just a couple of honorable mentions. Let's just get those out of the way. That MLB grounds crew, the weather radar, and I posted it on social media, basically showed a, a monsoon moving its way in, and they were going to be getting about an inch of rain, which is pretty massive over the course of an hour and a half or so. And it's like, no way. No way are they going to get this game off. And you you could see, like, the warning track was essentially a river at that point, like a mini Hudson. And uh, they delayed our podcast by about 45 minutes. So, Jason, thoughts? Yeah, this was stubbornness by ESPN because ESPN wants to capture the big moment. They want to get that historic judge home run and – they were holding out hope that uh, the game could be played or played to its completion and that they would get that. Um, anyone in their right mind would have told you, move this game to the afternoon, you know, flex it out of the primetime spot, put it in the afternoon, you get the whole game. The problem is I think ESPN recognizes that they can't go head to head with the NFL because unfortunately, what would people rather watch? Would you rather watch, Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers, or would you rather watch Yankees Red Sox knowing that the Red Sox are a last place team and they blow. And really the only reason you're watching is to watch Aaron judge potentially hit a historic home run. ESPN weighed the odds and they went, Nope. Yep. No, we're going to keep it in the primetime spot. We hope that the weather will clear up and we're just going to be stubborn about it and keep going, but it didn't work out that way. So it was just classic ESPN. They, they want to own their moment, and their moment in their minds was Aaron Judge hitting that historic home run tonight, and they wanted to own that moment, and it didn't work out for them because, <laughs> unfortunately, their stubbornness got in the way. So, yeah, it's it's on the ground screw for sure, um, but it's, it, it's on ESPN because, let's face it, they controlled everything about what happened tonight. They controlled the fact that the – delay was like an hour long when basically everyone in the right mind was telling you there's no way you're going to restart this game given the amount of rain that was pouring down and you know the damage that was being done to the field um it was all espn they just they completely ruined it and it was just them trying to own the moment they they want to broadcast the judge historic home run because you know he's aaron judge and he plays for the yankees and that's what espn wants so at the end of the day, they're really the ones that bungled this.
I mean, there's not much to add. I mean, it was uh, pretty boring just watching nothing on ESPN for countless minutes. And then slowly but surely, you know, Lake Yankee Stadium out in right field started to build up. What are we playing for? The Yankees had already won the game. The Red Sox were playing in a lethargic manner. They didn't look like they were really with it. And then, I mean, you got the ref Snyder play out in right field where just he just completely blew it in right field. And I don't want to say he displayed a lack of effort to get there, but it just looks like ref Snyder when he's running, he just runs in slow motion. It's really, I don't know how else to describe it. Like he's not, I I don't think he's slow, but it was like he, he started hustling and then he slowed down when he got to the ball. And that annoyed me more than, you know, that annoyed me the same amount as the missed play. And I know we, we can talk about some of the reactions that some of the players had, but I mean, it, it wouldn't have altered the, the the course of the game. The Red Sox weren't hitting and Cortez was absolutely on it. But, you know, this is the same thing of people were getting upset that Albert Pujols' game was not on ESPN. It was on Apple TV and people were complaining about that, but they got the rights to the game. They paid big money for it. And for those that were looking forward to 699, congratulations. You got yourself a cherry on the cupcake there. You got to see 699 and 700. So, Props to you if you guys got to go to that game. Super, super jealous. But for those that got to be there for that moment, awesome. Awesome. I envy you. And then I'll wrap the the rain delay by just saying all the beat writers, uh, local to Boston and national writers, were just railing, basically echoing what you guys were saying. If it was anybody but Aaron Judge coming up, because he would have been the next at-bat, this game would be called... You know, if this game was two months ago and he only had 40 home runs, this game would be called. And, you know, it's Sunday and they want to go home, you know, and uh, they didn't want to be up till 1 a.m. covering a game. And so it was kind of funny. It's always good when ESPN gets called out because I'm not a fan. So the it's, other uh, or go ahead. It's always good when ESPN gets called out and you see beat writers like Pete Abraham just, you know, crapping their pants and, you know, having a bad time, you know, complaining about, oh, no, I have to stay here a little couple extra hours. Like, oh, poor P. Dave. Oh, so sad. <laughs> yeah. Man of the people, as, uh, as that often backfires on him. Um, so the other thing, too, a little bit Yankee-related before we get to the shit list, Garrett Cole threw an epic hissy fit uh, in the Saturday game, I think it was uh, might have been as the fifth inning was coming to a close. He thought he had an out. I forget which batter it was, but um, was not an out. Or maybe maybe it was Verdugo. I can't remember. But eventually in that inning, Verdugo, who's like the arch nemesis of Yankees fans, apparently, because he likes to jaw at them. They jaw at him when he's out in uh, right field or uh, yeah, out in the outfield. And Verdugo ends up taking him deep on a three-run shot. And the score was 4-1, to one, so that home run ties the game. Cole gets the next batter out, and as he's walking back to the dugout, he, very, he calls the umpire's name. It was Joe something. And uh, points at him, drops an F-bomb, and gets immediately rung up. Aaron Boone comes out, 
it's mandatory that he gets himself tossed, as we all know. And uh, yeah, and then Cole was out of the game. And I just, I've never liked the entitlement from Garrett Cole. I just think he's a crybaby. In a lot of ways, I'm kind of glad he doesn't pitch for us. I'm a big character guy. I don't like seeing stuff like that. Um, and got tossed. So thoughts on that? Yeah. If you, sorry, if, if you look at like the pitch that he threw that he was complaining about, it was well below the knees. Like, I don't, I don't know what Garrett Cole was thinking. Like it, he was complaining about a pitch to Verdugo that was well below the knees. It was not even close. And then he serves up a fastball right down the middle. And he gets taken deep. And I think it was just him yelling at the umpire was just, he was frustrated. He knew he made a bad pitch. All right. Like he's not a dummy. He's been pitching long enough. He knew he served up an absolute meatball to Alex Verdugo. And part of me thinks that Cole is feeling the pressure from Yankees fans. They've been on him all year. Um, Credit to Yankees fans. Like they, they have been on Garrett Cole all year for saying that he's not been an ace. He's not worth the contract. This is a team that's in first place that, you know, has one of the best records in baseball. Like they're a World Series favorite and their fans are getting on him for saying, you're not pitching well enough. You're not pitching like an ace. This is not good enough. So I think he's really starting to feel that pressure. And I think it just kind of boiled over. In that, in that at bat, he's going up against Alex Verdugo, who, like you said, has been a Yankee killer um, ever since he came to the Red Sox. He served up an absolute meatball to him, and he took him deep. And it tied the game at four. And I, I think Cole, honestly, at that point, had no interest in continuing that game. I think Garrett Cole is already looking towards the playoffs. He's He's in his own head. He's in his own head. He wants to prove Yankee fans wrong that – he is an ace and that he's he's worth the money that he's being paid. So I think he's already looking forward to that. And he kind of went, you know what? I don't want to be in here against this last place team that, you know, again, no offense, but like it, the game doesn't matter. The Yankees are going to the playoffs. So what does he care about a, a regular season game in September against the last place Red Sox? He doesn't care. So I think he wanted out of that game and he just wanted to kind of show Yankee fans, hey, I have some fire in me. You know, I'm not just the boring Kermit character that everyone portrays me as on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I think he kind of backfired on him because I think he he looked like a baby in this. But, yeah, I, I think the pressure is getting to him. And this postseason is going to be huge for Garrett Cole because if he does not pitch well, then, boy, there's going to be a lot of questions about that big long-term contract that the Yankees signed him to. So, I think he's feeling the pressure, and I think that boiled over this weekend. Yeah, so uh, there was a little video that I posted in our you know, internal war room, which is just the hosts and whatnot. It was, uh, I believe, it was 19 pitches where they were using a, you know, computer, um, a computer analysis, essentially, to see if the pitches were correct or incorrect. And of the 19 pitches that were all called correctly, Three favored the Yankees, one favored the Red Sox, giving the Yankees a variance of two. And he was upset over two pitches, one that was called a strike, one that was called a ball. 
uh, that canceled each other out. One went for the Yankees, one did not. The pitch that he was upset about was a pitch on the outside right-hand corner of the dish. It was a ball. It was called a ball. He was upset with that pitch. The very next pitch was ripped over the right center field wall for three runs, which tied the game. He immediately went down. After the inning was over, Garrett Cole starts gesticulating and cussing out Brian Knight, the home plate umpire, and he gets ejected in, in, a, in a meaningless ejection. It's his first career ejection in a meaningless moment because he's done. He's thrown 103 pitches. He's not coming back for another inning. So he just wants to get his, his two cents in. The stupid thing about this is, are we really surprised? This is a guy who got upset because the start of the season didn't start right on time. We started a couple minutes late, and that wasn't good enough for Garrett Cole. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm done with the antics from him. He's a, he's a really good pitcher. There's no question. He's a really good pitcher when he's got the sauce on the ball, but that's basically every pitcher now too. There are very few that don't have the sauce. I don't, I don't think it's going to stop. I think that New York has made him even more soft, uh, more than he was before. He was at least tolerable when he was in Houston and Pittsburgh. He wasn't really that good in Pittsburgh, but I mean, I don't think it's going to change all of a sudden. It is what it is. He's going to be there for the rest of his career, and he's never going to win a World, a World Series. So that's his fault. So I'm trying to find his numbers at Fenway. I'm on the page, but I just can't. Oh, there they are. So Garrett Cole at Fenway Park has a 5.52 career ERA. <laughs> Not great. That's 44 innings at Fenway. And then Lifetime in 88 innings, he has a 4.40 ERA against the Red Sox, like overall. So there's probably a couple of interleague starts with the Pirates in there sometime, uh, you know, when he pitched against us uh, as a Houston Astro. So we're we're definitely not the team, and we we bounced him out of the wild card game last year. So when Jason, you were saying how Yankee fans are getting on him, I'm like, well, let's look up his his ERA. It's three point four nine, not terrible, not thirty six million a year, obviously, like you were saying. Here's the other hilarious thing. <laughs> this is why war confuses me, especially with pitchers. He's got a 2.5 war. Again, not terrible, but not 36 million a year. Guess who on the Red Sox has a 2.5 war? Michael Walker? He has a 4.1 war. Ooh, okay. I don't uh, I don't I don't know. Is this a reliever? No. Is it, it... It's not Nick Pavetta. <laughs> it's Nick Pavetta. No Same way. exact oh, war. No. <laughs> Same exact war as ERA is a full run higher. I don't know how they calculate that stuff. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna go. I'm terrible at sorting through this on the fly. But um, yeah, so they have the same war according to Baseball Reference. Uh, all right. So Garrett Cole's a crybaby and. Man, I hope on the road in the playoffs, I want to see like a sea of Kermit dolls. They'll probably be banned, but. Oh, you and me both. Yeah, I want Kermit dolls. I want Kermit t-shirts. Like, 
Anyone who's playing the Yankees, yeah, come on, step it up. Let's go. That would be amazing. Oh, and this is all you need to know about Garrett Cole. And I've pointed this out before. I'll probably do it a million more times. But 2019, I think he did pitch game seven. It was a game seven loss to the Nationals. Nationals win the World Series that night. It wasn't Cole that really coughed it up. It was a reliever uh, out of the Astros pen who was like, phenomenal up until that moment i forget who it was but um instead of you know just kind of taking in the loss and hanging out with his teammates when it was his turn to be interviewed by fox he took off his astros cap and put on a boris corporation cap (laughs) that's all you need to know about cole so Let's go ahead. Finally, we'll get into the weekend shit list. Charlie, I have you leading off. We're doing three tonight. So who is in that three spot? Well, this is the guy who wants to get paid. Uh, This is one of the guys who wants to get really, really paid. But um, not really showing much. You know, Xander Bogarts. A really subpar performance for the series, and what could have been a really big way to, uh, you know, robust way to finish out the year. Two for eleven, a pair of singles, a walk, and a strikeout. That's it. No run scored. Nothing. Hasn't scored a run in several games now, and in his last, I think it's eight games now. One RBI, two runs scored. So this is a guy who thinks he's going to be getting paid thirty million a year, or he thinks he should be getting paid thirty million a year. That's just not happening. Like baseball's a business, and while I I would be disappointed if he didn't come back to some degree. If he wants to come back, I want him to come back at the right price. I don't want him to come back at thirty million. I don't want him to come back at twenty seven million. I'm struggling to imagine him coming back at twenty five, but I know that's probably going to be at least the baseline of what some team is going to pay him. Xander Bogarts was zero this series. Xander Bogarts has been a, a zero in most of the series that he's played this year, um, or at least in, in this month, I should say. It, it's it's been it's been a, a struggle. There's been a couple of moments, a couple of only one real series. I think it was just the Texas one where he really blew up. Um, other than that, he's had a couple decent games, but nothing crazy, nothing that screams superstar. So, yeah, while he's hitting three sixty for the month. Two home runs, eight RBIs. That's not enough from somebody who's supposed to be getting paid twenty-five to thirty million a year. We can argue about it and talk about it all we want, but I mean, as I've, I've been saying this for a while, I've been done with Xander for a while. It it, it it sucks that it's come to this, but I know I'm not in the minority here. I think there's a lot of us that are kind of just tired of the antics and tired of the people that are wishy-washy and say one thing and then do another the very next day. I'm just done with it. But Xander was my dud. Just as a zero for this series and an opportunity where we could have taken at least one game, we just got slapped by by the Yankees in four straight at their house. Not cool. Not fun. Yeah, he was definitely quiet this weekend. And um, I'm still – it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm still so on the fence about Xander when it comes to this offseason, whether or not I want the Red Sox to bring him back. It's really going to depend on what number he throws out there. Um, does he want 27 a year or does he want 32? Like 
He's not getting 36. Anyone thinks he's getting 36 is out of their mind, even if you're Scott Boris. Um, but does he want, again, like, does he want somewhere close to that? Or is he willing to take a little bit less knowing that, you know, he's had some really bad stretches this year? Um, you know, he, he ultimately his end of the season numbers are going to look pretty good. Not power wise. Um, defensively, he was, yeah, he was good. A little bit better than he has been. Um, you know, batting average, he, he, he's in, you know, he's in the running for a batting title. Although I've been told by all the nerds that batting average doesn't matter. So who cares? You know, batting average doesn't matter according to the Bluminati. So throw that number out the window. Who cares? Oh, batting title? Yeah, it doesn't matter. So I don't know. I, I don't know where the Red Sox stand on him. I don't know really where I stand on him. I It depends on what his number is. If he says 26, 27, I might give that to him. If he's asking for 30 plus, bye-bye. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm not paying 30 plus for a guy who doesn't hit power. Sorry. In today's MLB, you, you need power, especially from a guy with his stature and, and his ability to hit power, quite frankly, that he's shown in the past. Um, and it just, he's going to be such an interesting case this this offseason, how those negotiations go. I would love to see Bogart stay because ultimately I I hate the idea of just sending guys on their way as soon as they want a big contract because I think that sets a really bad precedent for your team. But like I said, you know, if, if he comes up with a really outrageous number, if he wants like 33 a year, no. Nah, no, nah, you're not worth that. And and I'm sorry, but like you've had a decent season, but you you haven't had like an all worldly season, so um, he's going to be a really interesting case. This weekend kind of showed you sort of the downfall of signing him to a long term contract. He can disappear at times because he's not that guy. Like he's not an Aaron Judge, where an Aaron Judge disappears at times too. But like Aaron Judge will also hit you know fifty bombs a year. Xander Bogarts has, you know, barely 20. So it's just, he's one of those guys that I like him as a guy. I like him as a player. I'm glad he's been with the Red Sox for as long as he has been. But I'm I'm kind of leaning towards, you know, if, if the money comes down to, would you rather extend Devers or Bogarts? Extend Devers and let Bogarts walk. And let him do whatever he's going to do because I think Devers is the better talent. And if the money that you would spend on Bogarts frees you up to do other things that will help bolster your starting rotation or help make your entire roster just overall better by, you know, signing smaller contracts here and there, I might be willing to do that. So Again, I, I'm so torn on Xander. I can't take one stance like firmly one way or the other. I know that's frustrating, but like it just is what it is. He, he's such a you know, he's a good player, but I don't know if he's worth whatever he's going to ask. So this weekend was tough for him. I I don't know what you're going to see out of him the remaining ten days that we have of this season. But uh, yeah, Xander Bogars is going to have a lot of eyes on him this winter. And I really don't know how that's going to go. It's completely up in the air. If you ask me. So 
In the month of July, Xander Bogarts hit 286, not terrible, but only two home runs, 14 runs batted in. That's underwhelming. That's not, that's not even, that's barely $20 million a year, which is what he's getting paid now. Month of August wasn't much better. In fact, he, his average was eight points lower. He did hit a couple more home runs, drove in one more run than the month of July. Didn't really walk a ton either month. September, he wakes up a little bit. He's hitting 353 with an OBP well over four, but still only two runs, eight driven in. I'm going to, I've already kind of alluded to this, but I think of the four hosts right now that are on this crew, I'm the furthest one out there that's, that's saying, don't sign Xander, just move on. It's not going to be a perfect fit. Is he well-liked? Yes, absolutely. Is he the best shortstop we've had since Nomar Garcia Para? Yes, absolutely. Was it basically a 10-year gap in between them and we had nothing but mediocrity in that 10-year gap? Yeah, absolutely. I totally get it. But we do have middle infield talent coming up. You got that Nick York kid, and I know he took a step back this year, but he's not projected to come up next season anyway. Plenty of time to get that straightened out. Within two or three years, you're going to have Marcelo Meyer. He's in a high A right now, so the next step from there is Portland. Usually when you make it to Portland, you're about a year away. He'll go to Worcester after that and then uh, make his debut, so probably what's that sometime in 2024 I I just I would move on from Xander everyone says he's the captain but is he is he getting in guys faces when they're making defensive error after defensive error I don't think so is he is he the rah-rah guy in the dugout when the game's tied in the seventh inning and we get another we need another run he's not that guy I don't does he influence the team positively? Yeah, but is he the captain? I just, I don't think he has that effect. And finally, in the playoffs, pretty dismal. He is hitting, lost my spot right here. He is hitting 231 with a 309 on base and only a 381 slugging mediocre <laughs> that's and and this isn't a small sample size by the way this is 44 games that's almost a third of an MLB season for comparison it's it's if he had these epic October moments to where he ended up winning a game for us then you know maybe maybe I would be different, but I am ready to move on. One last thing, because I know Charlie's got something to say. Here's the bad news: if if I'm resonating with anybody in the audience right now, if you're like I agree with Cushman, and I'll admit I'm probably in the minority, but for those of you that agree with me, here's the bad news: Does Heim Bloom have the balls? 
to go into next season where his ass is on the line could be fired if if we don't make the playoffs does he have the balls to not go into it with Xander Bogarts cuz you know the the second we go into the toilet everybody's going to be screaming see see what happens when you don't sign Bogarts see what happens when you trade Mookie everything that's ever haunted Hein Bloom is going to come back and and the Bogarts thing is going to be very prominent so I think in based on his rhetoric, it kind of seems like they are somewhat leaning to to being aggressive with Xander. So I think we're going to get Bogarts, but I think it's a contract we're going to regret after the third or fourth year. That's what I think. Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, so a couple things. You, you hit on two, two of them real quickly. He's not the captain of this team. Leader? Sure. Vocal leader? Absolutely. Would I call him the captain of this team? No. I really don't know who the clear-cut captain is, if there is one right now. If we're saying it's Xander Bogarts, that's just because of seniority. That's it. So that's just the title that we're giving to someone who's been with the, the team the longest. I, I don't call him the captain of this team. I call him one of the leaders on the team, and there are several. Chris Sale was one of them, but because Chris Sale's been gone for so long, it's kind of hard to put him in the same group as, as Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers. And and Rafael Devers still, just because of his his you know young look and still newness to the league, even though he's been in the league a couple of years, I don't even know if he can actually yet be the leader. There are some people that get thrust into leader status just based on who they are or legacy or something like that. Xander Bogarts, no. This is this is just not the case. And playoff Xander Bogarts was similar to playoff Bo- uh, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts really wasn't a, a big a big factor for us in the playoffs until until recent. Xander Bogarts is a career two thirty one playoff hitter with five home runs. I mean, that's that's not screaming stud. This guy had three home runs in 2021, and before that, two. Two. I, I just... Uh, $32 to $36 million for a guy who may hit a home run in a series? That just seems a little silly to me. And for those that are, you know, also paying attention, Terry brought up a really, really good point. You know, one of the first things that Hyam Bloom had to deal with was the the blowback and aftermath of what was going to happen post Mookie Betts. Can you imagine having to do that to a second guy that's beloved by fans and and cared by for by so many? I I'm actually kind of curious to see how people are going to respond because when Mookie Betts was gone, I was okay with it. I was happy. He didn't want to be here. I didn't want him here. Good luck doing whatever it is that you're doing in LA. You're you're playing for a team that's the new New York Yankees. You know, they're buying all the good players. They're buying all the talent. But truth be told, you're not fooling anybody. This team is uh, this team is going to go places in the future. I just don't think that Sanders is going to be a part of it. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen, Terry, you and me both. And I think I could speak for Jason, too, and anyone else on the podcast. And for any of our dedicated listeners, like, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens for Heim Bloom because his, uh, his behind is definitely on the block shall we say? I would say so. All right. uh, Let's get into number two on the shit list. That is my guy. And unfortunately, I I don't hate this guy at all, but I kind of go with John Schreiber. Um, Not a good series. Game one, he he did not give up any runs, but uh, not a great outing. Gave up a hit, two walks, got out of it fairly cleanly. Uh, 
game three, he gave up uh, two earned runs on uh, two hits and uh, two walks. So the whole series, he allowed six base runners. So this is a guy who's been elite at times. Some people think he's the closer. I think there's going to be high expectations on him next year. I kind of hope that there's a bullpen in place to where he shouldn't have that high of expectations. But I don't know. We'll just see. When uh, he came in, um, this was uh, in the third game, so just yesterday, Aaron Hicks was the first battery face, walked him. He did manage to strike out Aaron Judge, so big props for that. And then Anthony Rizzo comes in, two-run shot. So I forget where that uh, got the score to. Let's see. Yeah, the Red Sox were were winning that at the time. That was uh, – no, we were tied, excuse me. So it was a tie game at that moment, and then the two-run shot by Rizzo put the Yankees up 7-5. to five. So – uh, you know, it, it changed the game, and I hate to get on him because, like I said, he's been pretty solid. He came out of nowhere. We love stories like that. A guy named Koji Uihara came out of nowhere, and, uh, you know, you, you like to see stories like that. Do I expect him to, to be a, a high-leverage guy in 2023? Yeah. Yeah, I do expect that. Uh, Tanner Houck, presumably will be the closer next year. Garrett Whitlock at face value going into the rotation. So at present, you could argue that maybe John Schreiber is your setup guy to Tanner Houck. I don't know, but hopefully um, hopefully he cleans it up a little bit. Jason, thoughts? Yeah, I think this is a guy that uh, we've talked about a lot. He was found money, right? He was basically free. You picked him up on on the free agent market and bounced around a lot of teams. Detroit didn't have a lot of success there and the Red Sox picked him up. He was clearly a bloom guy. Bloom identified him. And at first looked like a great find. I mean, you know, there was a good month plus stretch where John Schreiber was unhittable. Um, in fact, I think a few of us, even on this podcast were saying, why not just make him the closer? If you haven't identified anyone else. Um, but, at the end of the day, he's a journeyman and he's had troubles in the past and I think it's creeping back up. So I think that the league is figuring him out. Um, I'm a little surprised. I, I looked through. He was not charged for a single wild pitch this weekend and I feel like he had three at least. Maybe three, maybe four. Like It, it almost seems like the arm slot is too much for him and he can't control it and he's just yanking pitches to the left a little bit too much. Um, and, you know, Grant, that's Reese McGuire back there. He's, he's a pretty good catcher. So he's thrown it past him to the backstop numerous times. I don't know why those weren't considered wild pitches uh, by MLB standards. But, um, yeah, he's he had a tough weekend. And, look, he's going to be back next year. Of course he is because, again, he's a guy that Bloom brought in. So, He's going to want to juice that orange as much as he can. He's also cheap. 
you know, he's not going to cost you much. So there's a benefit in that. I don't know what his role is next year. I, I think Terry, you're, you're onto it. Like in the eighth inning against all right-handers, he could be a really good option. Um, but he has to be more consistent because again, he was dominant earlier this year and now he's looking a lot more hittable and he's also looking a lot more erratic. And I don't like that out of, out of relievers, especially if you want them towards the back end in the seventh, eighth inning. So um, he's going to clean that up a little bit, but he'll be back next year for sure. Um, he'll be back in that bullpen and you just have to hope that they figured something out and that, you know, they can tweak it a little bit over the winter and he goes back to kind of the John Schreiber we saw earlier this year where he was just unhittable and he was punching guys out and, you know, not running to a ton of trouble because this weekend with, you know, yanking pitches to the backstop and just looking really flustered, that's not a guy I really trust in the seventh, eighth inning of any game. So hopefully um, they identify it. They work on it this winter, and like I said, I fully expect him to be back and back in that bullpen. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I I don't want to guarantee him a late-inning role because I still hope that High and Bloom goes out and spends a little bit of money on on the bullpen this year as opposed to what he did last year where he didn't spend any money at all. Um, Hopefully he learned his lesson and he goes out and, you know, opens up the, the pocketbook a little bit. But uh, Schreiber will be in there next year. I just – I'm a little bit flexible on what his role is. I, you know, I don't want to guarantee him the bridge roles of the closer, but, you know, sixth, seventh inning to start, I'm okay with that for sure. Yeah, Schreiber, as you mentioned, you know, spending a little bit of time elsewhere before coming to Boston. Guy's 28 years old. He's ARB1 in – is it 24? 24. So he's ARB3 by the end of 2026. Who knows what he's going to actually going to cost at that time? He has one year of service time right now. So Jason already mentioned that he kind of fell apart early this year, and that was kind of kind of one of the problems because in the month of August, he's gotten tuned up pretty good. He's had back-to-back clunker months. June was perfect, didn't allow a run. May allowed only two earned runs in one appearance. So through the first two months of the season, only had one real bad start. He was allowing a hit in half of his innings of work. Ten innings, five hits, 12 innings, six hits. Well, now you get to August and, and July here. You got nine hits in 14 and a third, five earned runs, 3.14 ERA. 14 hits, 13 and two-thirds innings of pitching. Six, uh, excuse, yeah, six earned runs, a 3.95 ERA. It's starting to go the wrong direction. But given the fact that we have limited options for our, our bullpen and we've, we've talked about this multiple times at on, on various shows, I don't think he's gone. I think they'll end up bringing him back. There's no reason to not bring him back. It's not going to cost an arm and a leg to get him. And he's arb eligible. So, uh, or he hasn't even hit ar- arbitration. So uh, it can't possibly hurt. Uh, similar to Jason, I do not want to commit to him being that bridge guy in the eighth inning. I'm still curious to see what's going to happen with Garrett Whitlock with uh, Tanner Houck if they even go out and get a closer, because if you're high bloom, you really do need to spend some money and not a little bit. I mean, a lot of bit. you got to make up for the 2022 blunder. That was your mistake. So um, I'm going to remain patient. 
I'm going to reserve what I, what was the expression that he used? He wanted us to reserve judgment before 2022. I think that was the expression <laughs> that they used. Let's, we're going to reserve judgment. I forgot so about I'm that. going to reserve judgment for 2023 until he actually rectifies that by, by spending some money. And I don't want him to spend money on the last day of free agency by signing like one big name. I want you, I want to, I want to see two or three well-known players come to Boston this is the Boston Red Sox. We spend money. We're trying to get talent. We're trying to grow talent as well. We're not going to just try to do these bargain players and pray that something works out and sign a player with two minutes left in free agency. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to work. And clearly it didn't work this year. Players weren't ready. The signings happened too late. It took players way too long to get warm. And then injuries knocked them out for the rest of the year. So... High and Bloom needs to, to to figure it out, and he needs to find more bargain players that are going to be good, and then also get elite talent. I totally forgot about that line. I feel like Hein Bloom has gotten a pass on that line. Reserve judgment. <laughs> oh. I didn't forget Terry. I, I I remember watching that interview where he's just sitting there in that chair, and I wanted to smack him. Just reserve judgment. How many times did he say that in the interview? I don't know, but... Uh, it was more than once, and it was annoying. It was right after the lockout ended, I think, and, and um, yeah, we uh, all we reserved was a, a fifth-place finish, so... All right, let's go ahead. Who is number one on the shit list, Jason? Yeah, number one is Nick Pavetta. Um just another rough start for him. And uh, it's unfortunate because let's face it, Nick Pavetta is going to be in your starting rotation in 2023, whether you like it or not, he's an art guy. So why wouldn't he be? He's making 2.6 million this year. So, you know, ARB guys always get a little bit of a bump, even if they blow ass, which he kind of has this year. So maybe he makes 2.8 next year. He's two, you know, two point eight. He'll be in your rotation for sure. The only hope is that Hyam Bloom and the Red Sox organization looks at him as what he is, which is a back end number four or number five starter, because that's all this guy is. Um, Nick Bavetta, to his credit, back to back seasons with the Red Sox has made thirty starts. Uh, this last one was his thirty first, a career high for him, by the way. Um, but he just – he's so up and down, and at times he looks great. But for the most part this season, he's looked really average. Just, you know, decent fastball when he's got command of it, good breaking ball when he has command of it. But the problem is he doesn't always have command of his pitches. This last start, um, they pointed out on the broadcast, he didn't have command of his off-speed pitches. They were floating. They were diving down the zone. His fastball looked good, and he was featuring that a lot. But his off-speed stuff, he didn't have great command of. And there have been other starts where he doesn't have good command of his fastball, but he has good command of his breaking ball. So he's just, you know, again, he's going to be 30. He'll be in your rotation next year for sure. He's under contract, so he'll be there for sure. But I just – they have to stop looking at Nick Pavetta as 
a middle of the rotation guy, a number three or even number four at this point. He's a five at best, like 10 and 11 this year, an ERA close to five. That's what he was in Philly before you traded for him. That's why the Phillies gave up on him so fast. That's why they gave him to you for free. They gave him to you for Heath Hembry and Brandon Workman because they were like, yeah, this guy's not that good. Um, he's had a couple of good starts for the Red Sox, but ultimately he's just – he's a back-end rotation guy, if that. And honestly, if you have better starting rotation depth, if you have better pitchers coming up in your system, Nick Pavetta doesn't crack your starting rotation. He really doesn't. The, the benefit for him is that he landed on the Red Sox, and their starting pitching depth was Brian Bayo, and he's up here, and that's it. They don't have anyone else really in the in the pipeline. I mean, do you want to would you rather Josh Winkowski over Nick over Nick Pavetta? Quite frankly, I wouldn't. I'm not a Winkowski guy, never have been. Cutter Crawford, maybe, but even he's, you know, at times he's looked like just he's not ready for the moment. And you're going into next year, you don't know what's gonna happen with Evaldi. Um I personally I hope he's gone. Um Michael Walker you don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with him. Rich Hill, I've said it for you know weeks. I think he's going to retire. So your rotation next year is looking like Chris Sale, Brian Bayo, Nick Pavetta to start. And if you bring back Waka, then Pavetta gets bumped to the four. But you still have open rotation slots. So I don't know what you do there, but... Um, I just, again, I hope that the Red Sox start to look at him for what he really is. He's a back-end rotation guy, a number four or a number five. Do not look at Nick Pavetta as if he's your number three or your number two because that's going to give them a warped perception of what they need for the starting rotation. So another rough start for him. Um, again, it just it's too inconsistent for me. Um, if he wasn't dirt cheap and he wasn't an ARP guy, I would say just get rid of him. Um, and I don't rule that out. They, you know, he might be a good trade candidate for a team looking for a cheap pitcher on a good contract. But um, for now, back into the rotation guy for next year, if that, because the starting pitching has not been good enough this year. It failed you, at, you know, at a lot of points this year. So, he better be at the back end, number four, number five, going into next year because I don't want to. I don't want them looking at him being like, "Oh yeah, no, he's a number two, number three. Nope, he definitely isn't, and we know that now. So Jason brought up a, a couple of really good points on on Pavetta. You know, this is someone who just hit thirty plus again. You know, he did it only one time in Philly, and before after that, he just became a reliever, didn't do anything in twenty twenty, and then obviously got traded to the Red Sox that year, where he did really well and then 2021 he went nine and eight his 10 wins this year are a career high he's had a majority of his wins now with the red sox he's had 21 of his 40 wins with the red sox he definitely can get you innings he's probably got another two starts in him he's probably going to get you 180 181 182 innings of total work he's probably going to get in and around the 175 to 180 strikeout range which is Pretty good if that's your four or five guy. But if we don't re-sign, you know, players like Pavetta, uh, excuse me, uh, Michael Waka or Nate Evaldi, 
like you mentioned, you got Chris Sale, Brian Bayo, and Nick Pavetta. Ouch. So that's going to be even more pressure on Haim Bloom to either resign one or both of those guys, even if it's just like a stopgap, because you already mentioned he's only making 2.6. Personally, I think he's going to make low threes. He got 10 wins. He's pretty close to 200 innings and 200 strikeouts. He's like, I think I'm trying to find like a fair comp to what he brings or who he's like on another team. I'll, I'll come back to, to one. Um, but I, I think that it's going to be Waka or Evaldi that come back at least for one year. Evaldi, a QO, or Waka's going to probably have to take like a three for 48. Um, or they overpay him for two seasons. And, you know, if he even does remotely well in one of those two years, then you you win. But Pavetta has kind of had Franken months. And by Franken months, I mean one month is great, another month is garbage. You know, this is something who, someone who in the month of May was lights out absolutely killer after a brutal month of April. And then the beginning of June was kind of weird. And then he calmed back down again. And then July happened and August happened. And it was what's happening. Like, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, where did he go? 38 earned runs in 10 starts, averaging almost four earned runs. That isn't a starter. That's, that's, that's not a major leaguer. And then he's, quieted down a little bit but still he's allowed 13 runs in 23 innings he allowed 13 runs in 28 and two-thirds in the month of august even though he was one and one this month you wouldn't know it zero was over five this month so pavetta is going to have to tweak some things too because even if you're getting three million dollars we still need you to give us quality starts you gave us five innings four times in a row and in the last two months you only went more than six innings once so Pavetta hasn't been getting it done either. He's only had one win in his last seven starts. I gave a similar take to Jason's. I don't know if it was on the last show or the one before that, where I was saying if, if Bloom and Cora are telling you that Pavetta's the number three coming into the season, the rest of your rotation is in big trouble. <laughs> if that's where they think his expectations are. So um, not great. And Jason brings up Cutter Crawford. I went back to, in four out of his last five starts, August 7th against Kansas City, gives up five runs. For some reason, pitched well against the Yankees in his next start on August 13th, six. Uh, innings two earned runs but then after that by baltimore he gets rocked for nine runs then four runs against toronto four runs against minnesota after that and he hasn't pitched since i don't think he's even pitched in the minors so gonna be a hard no on cutter crawford unless we're talking about the bullpen for him and like i said this is who pavetta is the only upside to nick pavetta whatsoever is that he eats innings. That's it. He's going to pitch 180 innings if you want him to. 60 of those innings might be quality. He's just, he's not good. And Rick Porcello, his career ended at age 32 because he sucked. He just couldn't get guys out, got rocked a lot. And 
I think Nick Pavetta could be on a similar trajectory. And like Jason said, yeah, he'll be back next year because he's cheap. And I'm not saying I hate that as long as they're telling me he's basically the number five. If Pavetta didn't have that epic run at the end of last season where he had that really good September, that great start at Fenway Park against the Yankees that unfortunately Darwin's and Hernandez ended up costing him the win. And then that nice run through October when we got to the ALCS, what would he be? He would be a borderline DFA candidate at some point this year. So that is who Pavetta is. If anybody's waiting for that season where his ERA is in the low threes, his punch out rate is around 10 strikeouts per nine, and he's going to be a a fringe top 10 Cy Young, you're never going to see that day. It's it's not who he is. He's never going to be consistent. He's a bit of a head case. He can't wear long sleeves, apparently, because he tips his pitches when he's wearing long sleeves. He's had to change out of that shirt uh, in between innings because he was tipping pitches. So he's a head case as well. But if I were Nick Pavetta, I would ask for $36 million because my war is the same as Garrett Cole's. <laughs> it's, it's a good starting point. He, he won't get 10% of that probably, but... Um, but it's a, it's a good starting point for his agents. So let's just take a peek at the next series. I admittedly have no idea who we're playing. I think we've got a Baltimore series coming up. That's correct. Is yep. that who it is? Yep. Oh, geez. That Baltimore is coming into town. Yep. Purely a guess. So I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, and we have matchups. Let's see. So there is a Monday night game, 7-10. Oh, baby. Jordan Lyles, who he thumped like so bad uh, a week or two ago. Um, I forget how many runs we put up against him. It, it was at least six or seven, maybe more. Uh, he's facing Connor Siebold, who we might get some propaganda for. Um, you know, I'm just going to say it right now. I hope Siebold gets thumped because I don't want to hear his name once this winter. So they both suck. Lyles has sucked worse lately. Jason, how do you see that one going? Yeah, this really is a matchup of who's going to suck worse. Um, I'm going to go with Baltimore because I am with you, Terry. I'm not a Connor Seabold guy. I think Connor Seabold blows. Um, I think there's a reason why he was the throw-in on the Nick Pavetta trade. Like People forget that. He was the throw-in. So you trade two relievers primarily for Pavetta, but Philly threw in Connor Seabold. And all I've had to hear ever since he got traded here was, oh, just wait. Just wait till Connor Seabold comes up. Just wait for Connor Seabold. He's in the Josh Winkowski category of the Bluminati being like, just wait till this guy comes up. No, he sucks. I, I waited. He came up and he sucked. I know he sucks. So um, I don't expect anything good out of him. Baltimore is playing good baseball right now. Adley Rushman is the best catcher in baseball. Um, I'm super jealous of the Orioles that they have a, a stud catcher that's, you know, probably going to be the next Yachty Molina, maybe even better. Who knows? Um, I expect the Baltimore Orioles to win this one, even though Jordan Lyles isn't that good. I think Seabolt give up six runs in the first inning and it'll be over. So I'll take Baltimore. Charlie. 
It's going to be hard to differ from that because uh, Connor Seabold has an ERA over 10. He does not look like a major leaguer, and as bad as Lyles has been, Connor Seabold is far worse. So it's unfortunate, but game one is going to go against us, and we will lose for the sixth time in a row. I'm just praying Jordan Lyles shuts us down. So, like I said, I can't deal with propaganda. Next game, I'm just going to make everybody's pick for us here. Uh, Kyle Bradish versus Michael Walker. Jason picks Walker. Charlie picks Walker. Clean sweep. I'm picking Walker. That's correct. Correct. Game. Uh, oh, this is a four-game set, by the way. Game three on Wednesday. These are all 7-10 starts. Dean, is it Creamer or Kramer? It's, it's more fun if it's Creamer, but I think it's actually Creamer, unfortunately for him. Yeah. <laughs> he is facing Ridge Hill. Jason, who are you taking? I'm going to take Baltimore in this one, too. Um, yeah, I, I'm down on Ridge Hill. Creamer has actually had a good year um, eight and five, ERA under four. So he's, I, I don't think he's like a you know future stud for them. He's just a, kind of a bridge pitcher for Baltimore, but he's had a good year and I just, I'm down on Rich Hill. I, you know, I, I kind of, at this point, I know he's a Massachusetts native. I know that I'm supposed to root for him because of that. He annoys the hell out of me. He's, he's just, he's opened his mouth way too much about stupid crap, whether it's the rule changes or the Ploiecki situation. I just kind of want his old ass to go away. Just go away. Go retire. You're annoying. You're not that good anymore. Um, I, I fully expect Baltimore to win that game. Yeah, um, it's going to be Kramer winning game three. He's already had his way with us twice this season, twice in the month of August. He he did okay against us in one game. Didn't get the run support in the other one, but he just – I mean, this is, this is someone who just came off of a four-hit shutout against the Astros. He's about to hand us our asses. If you can do that against Houston, much better offensive team than us, four hit them. You four hit the Astros. And now you're facing Rich Hill. Okay. That should be fun. That's a nice cupcake opponent right there in relation to what you're probably facing against Houston. I just went one, 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 one. I just zigzagged each time. So you know who I'm picking for the next one too. If he pitched a complete game, though, maybe maybe there's a 10% chance we might get to him because it just doesn't seem to go well. But at face value, the game's at Fenway. Rich Hill can't pitch at Fenway. He's got an ERA near six. I'll take Creamer. And if he goes deep into this game, seven or eight innings, which is a tall order after a shutout, his ERA will probably be under three. Be in the 290s. I don't have matchups for Thursday, which is a getaway game. I'm showing TBD versus TBD. So on ESPN, it shows uh, Michael Bowman against Nick Pavetta. And um, why wouldn't it be? Yeah, and Michael Bo- or Mike Bowman is yeah he's only had a couple of starts. He's one and three ERA of four point three for the Orioles. So, um, you know. Not that great, but then again, he's going against Nick Pavetta, who's even worse somehow. Um, so, 
I will take Baltimore in that one because I'm just I'm down on Pavetta. I, I I hate to say it, but I really am. I just I think he's backsliding a lot towards the end of this year, and I think he could give up a couple of bombs in this one, and uh, it might be a slugfest, but I'll take Baltimore. Well, I already made my call. You already know who I'm taking in game four. I'm going uh, Pavetta for the final one. I went one and one, one and one, so I split two-two. Well, since it's a 135 game and – You know Cora's going to rest. Devers, Bogars, probably Martinez. I'll take the Orioles. So, (laughs) anyway, so that will wrap up this show. If anybody's wondering on the search for the co-host, that kind of got extended because we couldn't reach a consensus on two of the candidates. So there will be one final interview round on Monday night, which is tonight for the listening audience, and uh, potentially an introductory show on Tuesday night. So look out for that. There won't be a hot take Tuesday because the introductory show will be in lieu of that. So everybody have a great start to your work week. Take care.